we started out looking at truth, that there is a truth, that we can know it, and because it comes from God, and uh, we should honor the truth, and love the truth, and stand for the truth, defend it, and live by it. And But there is a way in which that truth will affect a person, and it will change a person, and the truth will have particular fruits. And so, um, James, starting in chapter 3 and verse 13, says, Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conscience his works with meekness and wisdom. So, if a man is wise, he will have that knowledge from God, and his works will reflect God's wisdom and God's knowledge. So, at the beginning of the chapter, he said, not many people should be teachers or masters, knowing that they will receive the greater condemnation. So the words uh, should um, be true, and they'll be judged by the truth of it. But then he goes on and talks about how the tongue can cause a problem. And he said, so, so how can we know, what's one way to know if a man is wise to be a teacher or wise to, to bring forth uh, the, the word of God? He said, we'll look to the life. Because wisdom will produce fruit. And you can, you, just like you can see faith, uh, the, the works are showing the faith. Uh, the good works will show the wisdom. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. For where envy and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. So, there's two kinds of wisdom. James compares two kinds of wisdom, just like he compared two kinds of faith. There's a, a true faith and a false faith. There's a faith that truly believes, and, and because it's true, it will have works, right? So you, you're, you don't prove, or you don't have, your works don't make your saving faith um, effectual, but if you have effectual faith, then God will work fruits in you. And so that's what James is talking about there. But it's the same thing with wisdom. Um, if you have true wisdom, then it'll work itself out and you'll be able to see that in your life. But there's another kind of, of false wisdom, just like there's a false faith. You say that you have faith, but if you live like the devil, it would be, it would be hard to, to reconcile those two. That because even the devils say that they believe in God. Well, everybody says that they have some knowledge, and everybody would probably say that they have some wisdom, but not every wisdom comes from God. There's two kinds of wisdom. There's a true wisdom and a false wisdom. So the false wisdom is from the world. It's fleshly. It's devilish. But the other wisdom comes from God. One way is from the world below. One way is from wisdom from above. Well, here's just a practical question. We've got two types of wisdom. Do you think it would work out better for you to listen to God or to listen to the devil? Now, that's kind of a silly thing to ask because no one would say, well, I think it would be better to listen to the devil. But where does the wisdom of the world come from? What is it in alignment with? The wisdom of the world is in alignment with the devil. It is sensual. It is devilish. It is earthly. So, if there's only two kinds of wisdoms that, that James lays forth, that from above or that from below, one, is, from, one is, is godly and the other is devilish, we could ask ourselves the practical question, is it better, will it work out better for us 
to listen to God and follow his ways or listen to the devil and follow his. God had knowledge and wisdom would have been to listen to God, but the devil had some knowledge and he, he gave his wisdom to Eve. In which way did it work out better for Adam and Eve to listen to, to God or listen to the devil? Do you think divine wisdom that has been followed for thousands of years by kings, by the wealthiest of monarchs that have ever lived, prophets, apostles, um, priests, would be a good and safe guide? For thousands of years it has been proven and tried and tested to be um, the way of, of godliness and peace. Some of the greatest men who have ever walked the earth. I mean, if you have a list of the greatest men um, who's ever lived, certainly um, Moses would be on that list, and Abraham would be on that list. Jesus, of course, the Apostle Paul, these, these are men, great by any standard, who follow after the wisdom of God. Or are we to say that, that to follow their wisdom, and to follow and walk in the path that they walked as they walked after God, would be a good and safe guide for us today. Jesus Christ is wisdom incarnate. The wisdom who, who incarnate uh, came and walked among us. Would he be a safe guide to follow? Or do we think that following the wisdom of the world, an untried and unchecked and untested wisdom, that, or a wisdom that has proven to be false over and over again, to be a superior path to follow? And if so, why would we think that? So that, that is something that, just practically speaking, we ought to just step back and think. Would it be better for me to listen to God or listen to the devil? Well, wisdom um, would, would confirm that it's better to listen to God. And James kind of shows us the benefits here uh, in also what the fruit of that would be. So as he tells us what it looks like to walk in wisdom and what, kind, what this wisdom is, it also shows us how beneficial it is and how, how much better it is. Because the devil's wisdom, the world's wisdom, is bitterness, envy, strife, pride, hypocrisy. That, that's the way of the world. Well, what's the way of the wisdom that comes from above? And that's what we'll look at tonight. Uh, wisdom that comes from above. Well, first of all, wisdom from above is pure. It comes from above and it's pure. So James does put this first. Wisdom above is pure. And I think this is very important to put the purity of this wisdom first. It's pure in that it's unmixed. That it's not mixed like um, in verse 11 and 12, that the fountain send forth the same place, sweet, water, and bitter. Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, olive berries, either a vine, figs? So no can fountain both yield salt, water, and fresh. So our words shouldn't be a mixture of both purity and impurity because God's wisdom is not a mixture of impurity and purity. There's not sections of the Bible when we say, well, this isn't true for our day and time. It, it was because we have evolved past this moral standard. Now there are sections of the Bible, as far as the Old Testament, of course, that we no longer do because that was fulfilled. But the, the, the truth of that is not that it's impure. 
So as God tells us to, to follow him and, and what God commands us to do, um, it is, we can't say, well, that's not for us today because um, times have changed. In the sense that a, a new morality has come. Or God's wisdom for the world or wisdom for uh, morality has changed and and that we no longer uh, are bound by what God has told us to do. No, it is pure. God's word is pure. And even those things that we no longer um, observe because they were fulfilled in Jesus Christ as far as the Old Testament is concerned, even those things were pure in that God had given to, to Israel for a purpose. So we no longer have the the priesthood, the Levitical priesthood, but I'm not going to say that was impure. Israel had certain laws concerning strangers, certain laws concerning slaves, and I'm not going to say that was impure or bad. There were certain laws concerning uh, men and women, and that, that's not how people look at things today, and, and it offends people to, to look on those things, but I'm not going to say it's impure because wisdom from above is first pure. It is unmixed. It's not a cooperation of worldly philosophy and inspired truth. It's from above, unmixed with error, sin, or vain babbling. Thomas Watson pointed out that Jude 8 says false teachers are dreamers who pollute their own bodies. And they're dreamers because of the folly which is found in their error. And they pollute because of its defilement. True wisdom is made up of truth and holiness. So God's wisdom is, is pure and true. It's undefiled. It's pure that it motivates us in the proper and right way. God's wisdom has the right end. God is holy and pure, so his wisdom is holy and pure. Man's wisdom, you never can tell what the motive is behind it. You never can tell why they, somebody's telling you to do something. Especially anymore, you know, people will lie to you and They'll say, well, this is the right way to go, but you don't, you don't know what the motives are behind it. You know, what, what, what's being pushed upon a person? Uh, what are the motives behind that? Well, we don't know. But God, we do know that his motives, all the, the wisdom is, is pure in that regard. It's proper and right. You can trust God and you can follow his ways and know that you're not being deceived and led in error. So God's wisdom is first pure. Wisdom makes the wise pure. It produces purity. We are sanctified by the truth. When someone has God's knowledge and pure wisdom, it'll make the wise pure. The words produced, the fruit from God's wisdom produces purity. So nobody is uh, perfect in this life. But what I believe this is saying is, that a person who's marked by God's wisdom um, will live a life that produces um, godliness. So if you look at the overall character of a person or an overall character of, of, the, of a doctrine, I think you can tell much from that. If it produces sinfulness, then it's not from above. There's no coincidence that many false teachers and many false um, doctrines are 
also tied up in moral failure. <coughs> it's no coincidence that many um, prosperity gospel preachers are also found to be liars and cheats and, and they cheat on their, their spouses and, and, and involved in all kinds of moral entanglements. Why? Because their wisdom is from below and it's not pure and it doesn't lead to a life of purity and, and godliness, but it's from below. It's earthly and, and it's sensual and it's no um, surprise that the fruit of that kind of doctrine leads to that kind of life. It shouldn't surprise you when you see uh, false prophets fall into moral failure because their wisdom, their way of life is not from above, it's from below. So a preaching that is a mixture of scripture and selfish motives is not from above. A doctrine that is a mixture of scripture and politics can move and shift with the wind. That wisdom is not from above. It's very disappointing to see people who can shift depending upon who's in power. Right? So professing Christians will, um, you know, you got people who profess to be Christians in, in media and in politics and, and their morals shift with the political winds. Well, that, that type of wisdom is not from above. It's very valuable politically. It's very valuable probably for them financially, very valuable for them as far as power concerns. But wisdom from above is pure. And as we'll see, um, there's, no, there's no hypocrisy in that. You know, I have my opinion, opinions about political things, and we probably um, agree on a lot of things. But I shouldn't shift what I believe... God says, um, in order to get in line with, with base, you know, uh, some political movement. There are some people, because of the common grace of God, know a lot of things about the economy. They know a lot of things about politics, but I can't look at that as wisdom from above. There are certain um, Southern Baptist groups that are pointing people to a, 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 an atheist, like a, a very outspoken atheist. And they're saying, well, this guy speaks more wisdom than, than your pastor does. You need to listen to, to this guy. Why? Because he knows things about politics. But I think, is that wisdom from above? Is that wisdom to, to point God's people to someone who denies the very existence of God and say, well, here's a wise man. Well, the Bible says that he's a fool. He might be wise about the economy. But the Bible says he's a fool. And I wouldn't want to follow that man very far. I'd be very leery to take my advice from a fool. And I think um, James points us in the right, right direction as far as where wisdom comes from and what it is. It's pure. In defending the truth or speaking the truth, we have to make sure that we're pure in our, in our understanding and, and not become unbalanced. And take on a bad motive for defending a position or bad motives for maintaining a position. We can, we can be on the right side but have the wrong reasons for it and that will make us imbalanced. So we can, we can have the right doctrine 
But if the only reason we defend it is because we want to win or we want to be seen as right, then we've got bad motives and we'll be imbalanced. And sooner or later, that's going to work itself out in the wrong way. So even um, while we love the truth should come out of a pure heart. Wisdom seeks purity. Purity of life and purity of heart and purity of doctrine. So the wisdom of above will have a pure doctrine. I was reading uh, Albert Barnes' commentary on this, and I was kind of surprised at the direction he was going because he said in his commentary that, um, that the Bible, sa- he said the Bible never says that we should sacrifice peace for doctrinal purity. And he said that um, too much is made of doctrinal purity in churches and it causes too many fights, and he said we ought to set that aside. Well, the editor of the edition that I had put in an extended comment, which uh, I'd never seen that from this passage. I'd never seen it before. And um, he said that probably what happened was Barnes, when he wrote this, was having problems in his church and uh, hated the problem so much that, that he just despised any kind of disagreement. But this is what the editor of that edition said. He said, The maxim that a pure heart ought not to sacrifice truth or any consideration whatsoever never gave rise to persecution. It has made many martyrs, but never one persecutor. It has pinned in the dungeon, but never imprisoned any there. It has burned them into flames, but never lighted the the fire. It's ascended the scaffolds, but never erected them. It has preserved and bequeathed civil and religious liberty, but never assaulted them. It is a divine principle, the principle by which Christians became strong and will ultimately command homage of the world. There is another principle with which that has no brotherhood that denies the right of private judgment and enforces uniformity by the sword. And its children are the inquisitors and the persecutors, and let them have the credit of their own offspring. It's not those who stand for doctrinal purity that cause the problems. It's not those who love the truth and stand for the truth that cause wars and fighting. God's truth and God's wisdom has never persecuted anyone. The wisdom of God has never put any um, person to death for their belief, for, for their conscience sake. The wisdom of God has never imprisoned someone or, or, or put someone into death because they didn't believe like we think they ought to believe. That is always on the side of those who follow the devilish wisdom. So that's why I think that James puts this first. That wisdom is first pure. Pure in motive, pure in heart, pure in truth. And if you don't have that purity first, then you're not going to find the wisdom of God. The devil's wisdom is mixed. The devil's wisdom is, is, is ungodly and, and combined with all sorts of philosophies. It is God's wisdom that is first pure. And we cannot forsake truth for peace because that's because what would be the ground of your peace? I am... Um, I heard, I think it was R.C. Sproul once say that he, he was invited to, to come together with uh, several different denominations and there were some Catholics and 
Um, I think he said some Lutherans and, and others that wanted to, to get together. And he said, well, we can't, we can't have unity like you're wanting unity. He said, sure we can. We said, we'll just set aside the things we disagree with. And, and then we'll just come together in what we do agree with. He said, well, I believe we're justified by faith alone, or by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. He said, can we have unity, you and I, as Roman Catholics? Because you, you confess in your, your councils that I'm anathema, I'm going to hell because I confess that. I said, well, no, we couldn't have this agreement on that. Then he asked the other person if they could have agreement on some other vital doctrine. He said, no, we couldn't agree there. He said, so what, at what price would our unity be? What would be the cost of our unity? And would that be worth it? The Bible says to buy the truth and sell it not. If we're to buy the truth, then peace with men, you know, that, that's, that's not worth the price to sell. Right? You're getting a bad bargain if, if you're going to sell the truth in order to win favor with man. So at first it's pure, but then it's peaceable. You have purity first, and then from, then, from that point you go into peace. That's what we want. We want peace. We don't want to fight. God's wisdom uh, for us, we, don't, we want to make reconciliation. We serve the Prince of Peace. Christ made peace for us with the blood of his cross. We were the greatest enemies that there were, the enemies of God, but through the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he made peace for us, and now we are at peace with God through the blood of Christ. And so we are a people of peace, and we preach the gospel of peace. Uh, of the Prince of Peace. So God's wisdom is peaceable. So yes, we must stand for the truth, but uh, one way you can determine if this wisdom is from above or from below is just look at the sort of the, the outflow of that. If it's nothing but war and fighting and no desire for peace, then you can have a clue that it's probably not from above. Watson again said there's a sweet connection between peace and wisdom. Moses was renowned for wisdom and meekness. The wisest and yet the meekest man upon the earth. The cooler the spirit, the more freedom there is for a wise debate. Holiness is a Christian ornament and loving peace is the ornament of holiness. We should desire peace and peaceableness. Paul says, if it be possible, as much life in you, live peaceable with all men. As much as lie in you, if it's possible. Sometimes it's not possible, though. Sometimes it's not possible. But that we should, uh, as much as it lies within us. Some people just won't have peace. Oftentimes, as Owen said, peace depends upon the minds of other men. Like the troubled sea whose waters cast up the dirt and mire. We might be for peace, but they might be for war, and there's nothing we can do about that. But as much as lies in us, we should desire peace, even with our enemies. We should want peace and be ready to make peace and make reconciliation. I believe this means that wisdom's true desire is for peace. Wisdom is not to divide the brotherhood, but to unite. And so, if you take a body of Christians, 
wisdom is to, to live in peace as much as, um, as much as we could. In uh, Hebrews chapter 12, and verse 14, it says, Follow peace with all men in holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. We should desire to follow peace with everyone. Not just here in the church, and not just with our acquaintances and people that we like with, but with everyone. We should desire peace with our fellow countrymen. We should desire peace with our fellow citizens, with those that we live next to, and, and, and all sorts of things. We should, er, all walks of life, rather, we should desire peace. Now, we know how to have peace, and we know what causes war. Sin causes strife. Sin causes uh, problems. And so we should desire that men flee from their sins and come to Christ. And that's how they'll have peace. For blessed are the peacemakers. And we appoint them to the Prince of Peace. But it should be our desire not that we go to war with everyone, but we should have peace with all people. Not that we should, um, not that we should uh, desire to, to win every argument, but we should desire to win men to Christ. And so I think this is what this is. Our desire should ultimately be for peace. And like I said, this most of the time, it should depend on the other person, really, that we should desire peace, and if they won't have it, well, that's, that's on them. But we should, we should desire peace um, and live under the Lordship of Christ. So that's God's wisdom, not to divide, but to unite in, in Christ. Wisdom from above as James goes on to say, and the next one is, is gentle. So another characteristic of divine wisdom is gentleness. Or it's translated moderation in Philippians 4-5 or, or patience in 1 Timothy 3-3. Um, Ralph Wardo defined it as calm and forbearing, affable, courteous. The opposite of harshness and insolence and dogmatism and scorn. Mount said it's fair and reasonable. Another man said that's where we get our idea of the, for the word gentleman. And every time I hear that, I think of Medford Coddell. I don't know if you knew that pastor from Indiana, but he would always compliment someone by calling him a gentleman and a scholar. He, uh, he sold books for a living. He's a pastor, and he had a bookstore, and... Um, He'd bring his books to Bible conferences, and every time I would run into him, I'd buy books off of him, and uh, I'd pay him and say, "Sir, you're a gentleman and a scholar." <laughs> so I, I, I think of him um, when I read these verses because he was a, a very wise man. He was a very gentle man. He was strong in the faith, and he didn't compromise what he believed in. And he would he would defend the truth. He would tell people when they were wrong. But he had a gentleness about him that even whenever he would tell you that you were wrong, you had the, you had the feeling that he did that for your own good. He had a wisdom that desired to teach the truth, that he wanted all people to know Jesus Christ. He wanted all people to be Baptists, and he wanted all people to believe the doctrines of grace. 
And he had a desire and ability to, to teach people those truths. But he also had a gentleness to know that it would be the Lord that would teach them. And he could, he could uh, talk to people without getting uh, fleshly about it and harsh, but be even courteous towards those who disagreed in that he could show the love of Christ in his, in his words. And I, I think we, we all know uh, people in that regard, I believe, that, that have a, a gentleness about them, knowing um, the scriptures uh, teach that we should uh, follow uh, such a, a precept. With our words, we can be calm and forbearing, free from harshness and scorn. We can be fair with our words and reasonable uh, with other people. We can be gentle in our criticism. A worldly wisdom will take the worst possible take with no allowance for human error or weakness. And so, um, Elijah and I will talk about this every once in a while. We'll read a news story, and, and the person who writes it is obviously opposed to the politician he might be writing about. And we'll look at that and say, well, they're taking the worst possible spin on that that could be. They're, they're making no allowance for human error, or maybe uh, that might not be what exactly what they meant, and just taking the worst possible angle at it. And I know that's just politics, and that's the way it is, but, but again... God's people should be gentle in the way we discuss, talk with one another, even with people we disagree with. That that we can uh, we can not have to take the worst possible spin on what somebody says, and so I know that they they think this and they meant this with their words, and uh, I know their heart and I know what they were thinking and doing. No, we can be gentle and fair and reasonable with people who we even disagree with. We can be gentle in our opinions. Now there's a big difference between divinely revealed truth and our opinions about something. I might believe my opinion is right and I might believe your opinion is wrong, but I have to distinguish that from revealed truth and be at least courteous with those who differ. Now I'm not just, I'm not talking about spiritual things, I'm talking about with anything. Right, so... I might think there's one way to, I might have an opinion about how a person ought to prune an apple tree and somebody else might have a different opinion about that and we could talk about it and we could differ totally on that. But um, it's not divinely revealed truth. And I can be gentle and I, and I don't have to start a war over my opinion about something. Proverbs 19.11 says, Discretion of a man deferreth his anger, and it is his glory to pass over transgression. So my opinion might be right, but it'd be a glory to the wise man to just uh, to pass over the transgression and, and just let it lie. Um, especially on opinions. So uh, wisdom is gentle, and especially in things that just aren't clear, things that are matters of opinion, things that are not spelled out in black and white in the scriptures even. Uh, we can have differences of opinion in some matters. Uh, that's what Paul's talking about in the book of Romans when he's talking about 
the different people would eat. Some would eat certain foods and some wouldn't. And Paul said, don't destroy your brother over meat. Right? Don't, don't, don't crush your brother and don't kill your brother over a question about what you have for supper. So um, wisdom is gentle. Besides, if we want someone to come to our side, come to our position on a matter, do you think harshness and scorn is the way to do that? I've been thinking a lot about this. If, if I want someone to come to my position, are they going to come to my position if I make fun of them and mock them? Or are they going to come to my position if I can try to show the truth? Now, yes, Elijah mocked the prophets of Baal. He mocked Baal and he mocked them all. But, but why did Elijah do that? He wasn't trying to win the prophets of Baal. He was trying to win the children of Israel. So he mocked the false teachers in order that God's people would see the difference between truth and error. But Elijah didn't turn around to God's people and say, you bunch of idiots, why are you following these, these uh, stupid priests, right? If, if Elijah had done that, then the people wouldn't have followed Elijah. They would have got, right? So um, we need to be gentle with those to whom we are trying to, to convince of the truth. So uh, that, that's what wisdom from above looks like. The next thing that James says is wisdom from above is easy to be entreated. Easy to be entreated. And what that is, is somebody who can be persuaded. Of course, wisdom is first pure, so that doesn't mean that we're persuaded to do something wrong. That purity, that first doctrinal purity, that purity of truth is first. So that doesn't mean we don't have conviction. But, one, but God's wisdom from above knows the truth about my, ourselves. And I know what the Bible says about me as a man and what it says about the human heart. And I know what the Bible says about learning truth and renewing the mind and coming to a knowledge of truth and growing in truth and maturing in truth and progressive sanctification. And all those things cannot be true if we're perfect already and know everything and are right about everything. You can't learn the truth and you can't come to the knowledge of the truth and you can't renew your mind in the truth if you already know everything. Right? Those two things can't be, be in line. And I think that's what sometimes people get the idea that, well, you're a Baptist and you have to know all truth and you have to be in line on a... You have to be in line on everything, or otherwise you have to be cut off and you're a heretic and, and we can't have fellowship anymore. Well, if that is the truth, then how can anybody ever learn anything? How can you teach somebody? Part of the job of a pastor is to teach. They have to be apt to teach. Well, how can you teach somebody that already knows everything? Well, you can't, because the, the, the assumption there is what? That there's people that don't know anything. How can you be a babe in Christ and grow into maturity if you already know everything? The Great Commission is to teach. It is to teach the ways of God. It is to teach doctrine. So there is no shame in, in changing one's mind from error to truth. There's nothing to be ashamed of to say, you know what, I used to think this, but now I see the truth of the Scriptures. There's nothing to be ashamed of. The shame 
would be to never receive the truth because of fear of man. That would be the shame. It's to go your whole life knowing the truth in your heart, but not confessing it because you, you don't want people to say, well, he changed his mind about something. Or, or he, used to, he used to say this and now he says that. Well, he's a hypocrite. Well, no, that's not hypocrisy. That's not hypocrisy to say that I've been shown the truth. So if a person didn't believe in the doctrine of election, then all of a sudden the Lord opens their eyes and now they see the truth of the doctrine of election. There's no shame in saying, why, I see the truth here now. I used to not believe that, but I see it now. There's no shame in that. And that's not hypocrisy. Hypocrisy would be to believe it and then pretend like you don't. Hypocrisy is someone playing the part. And that's the last thing, just to skip to the end, that's the last thing that James says, is wisdom from above is without hypocrisy. It's a sincere love, a sincere faith. He says, let us not love, John does, let us not love in word and, and in tongue, but indeed in truth. So, we value truth above all else. So we can be easily entreated. We can uh, learn things. Proverbs 26, 16, the sluggard is wiser in his own conceit than seven men that can render a reason. God's wisdom would rather come to the truth rather than remain in error, even if it means confessing a fault and a wrong. It would be better to say, It'd be better if you were driving your car and you're going the wrong direction to tell your wife, you know what, I took a wrong turn. We have to turn around and go back. Than to keep on driving the, the, the wrong direction and not have to say that, right? You know, it, it's hard to say, oops, I, I made a mistake, I'm wrong, i got to turn around. It would be a lot better than just keep going in the wrong direction so you won't have to confess it. Wisdom can be persuaded. Wisdom values learning divine truth with a heart ready to yield to Scripture. Too many people would die on every hill rather to commit any error whatsoever. And wisdom from this world will dig in their heels and never admit a fault, never be taught, lie to themselves, sear their conscience to where um, their opinion is equal with God's. But that's not wisdom from above. God would have his people to learn of him. Even Peter wouldn't, uh, you know, if, if a person now says, well, I have all truth and I know all things, well, you're better than Peter was. Because we have Peter's life story. He walked with Jesus and, and we saw where he learned things and he, he messed up and, and he would read he would read the Paul's epistles and say, well, this is kind of hard stuff that, that Paul's talking about. Peter learned. And if the Apostle Peter can learn and, and receive truth, then we can too. That's wisdom from above. Wisdom above is full of mercy and good fruits. God's wisdom produces mercy. Mercy to those in error. Mercy to those who oppose themselves. Mercy to those who are wrong and need to repent. Mercy to those who are fighting against themselves. When we talk to them, and they want to be our enemies, but we want to have peace. And they, they don't want peace, but we'll still have mercy towards them. That's God's wisdom produces mercy. 
And there's good fruits with God's wisdom, not just good intentions. Everybody's got good intentions for what they do. Caleb and I were talking about this yesterday, that evil men and even rulers often don't consider themselves to be the bad guys. I I read a a biography, part of a biography about Joseph Stalin. And he was a very evil man. He's got the blood of millions upon his hands. Very evil. But he had good intentions. It's just that he thought that he was right about everything. And his view was going to be the right view. And it was going to be the view that everybody was going to follow no matter what the cost. So if millions die, well, you got to break a few eggs to make an omelet. If millions suffer and millions are persecuted, well, that's the cost to follow the plan. He was a very wicked man, but he could, he could tell you his reasons for doing those things, right? So good intentions do not equal godliness. A lot of evil men will tell you that they have an intention that they think will come out the right way. But with God's wisdom, there is good fruit. And the last one, um, is it's without partiality. True wisdom guides us to treat people equal, equally and fairly. That's you know James talks about that in chapter two, verse number one through four. My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. For if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring and goodly apparel, and there come in a, also a poor man in vile raiment. And ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say to him, Sit thou here in the good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. Are ye then not partial in yourselves, and have become judges of evil thoughts? True wisdom is without partiality, because <coughs> true wisdom knows the truth about man. True wisdom stands by the truth, whether your side is right or wrong. And that happens in churches, it happens when when there's debates about doctrine, people will take up sides. They'll say, I'm on this preacher's side. Well, I'm on this preacher's side. And they start going back and forth. And no matter what happens, they'll be partial. And they say, well, are you with this preacher or that preacher? And then and people pick sides based upon the person. And they'll judge harshly the other side, but they'll not judge so harshly with the same uh, same equal justice to their side. No, it's without partiality. No matter who it is, friend or foe, we we treat other people as as the same. We treat all people as sinners who need the, the grace of God. True wisdom will will be impartial. It won't look at the person, it'll look at the truth and then rightly judge according to truth. I don't think the answer to the nation's problem about racism would has anything to do with about being colorblind. I mean, I don't, th- I don't know that you could be. But the point is, if you follow God's wisdom and treated every person with honor and dignity and respect, no matter who they are and no matter what they look like, there'd be no partiality, would there? If you follow God's wisdom and, and say, I'm going to treat you fairly 
because you're made in the image of God. And I'm going to treat you just like I treat everybody else because you're made in the image of God. That you have honor as a human being and dignity and I'm going to respect you and I'm going to show you love and I'm going to show you respect. No matter where you're from, no matter how much money that you have, no matter how much, uh, no matter what you look like, no matter, even no matter what you believe, I'm still going to treat you with, with dignity. And I'm going to still treat you with love. I'm not going to compromise because uh, what you could provide for me, and I'm not going to compromise because, uh, or I'm not going to be too harsh on you because you're not on my team. I'm going to treat you the same. There'd be no letting heresy slide with your friends. There wouldn't be any racism. There wouldn't be any of those type of things with wisdom from above. Wisdom from above is good for society. It's good for humanity. People say that Christians cause problems. No, God's wisdom from above uh, would be a blessing for, for every society, every nation, every family if we followed that wisdom. And so that will conclude our study on this. Wisdom from above and, and just the main takeaway is we want truth, but we want to live that truth out. We want to stand for the truth, but we want to do it in a way that honors God. And we want to follow truth, but we want to make sure we're following truth from a person who has that true wisdom and leading us in the true path.